0: I think there is a a reasonable question as to why Christians do what they do. Why is it that Christians gather week in and week out to come to a room to sing songs to God to sit underneath the Word of God to hear a sermon preached? Why is it that Christians, especially in our church, gather in community groups and disciple groups so once again read the Bible and to see how it applies to their life? Why is it? That we Christians at this church, why is it that we, we promote family worship? That in homes, that there should be a reading of Scripture, parent to child, that you pray over it and that you sing songs together. Why is it that we encourage private worship, devotions, where you as an individual would go to the Word of God? It's because Christians have a high view, a high understanding of what we believe the Word of God is. In our statement of faith, it's, it's old. It dates back to the 1600s. This is what our forefathers spoke of the Bible. We believe that the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is a perfect treasure of heavenly instruction, that it has God for its author, salvation for its end, truth without mixture of any error for its matter. That it reveals the principles by God will judge us and therefore is and shall remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian worship and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and opinions should be tried. That's what we believe about the Word of God. Whenever you go to the Scripture itself and we ask the question, what does Scripture say about itself? This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to his protege Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Proverbs verse, chapter 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. What we believe about the word of God is that it reveals to us who our Creator is. We believe that the Word of God shows us how life was meant and ought to be lived. The Word of God shapes our opinions and our view of life. And when we are trying to interpret the world around us, the Bible is our interpretive guide. And we believe that once we confess Christ and we are following Christ, we believe that when the word of God is read or heard, that the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, the Godhead himself, will will come and shape us to be more like Christ through the word of God. Jesus is speaking about the word of God in this passage, and he uses the illustration of a farmer who is sowing his field. I want you to get in your mind this field which is broken up and plowed and a farmer walking the field with a satchel across his body. And as he walks, he reaches into a bag of seed and he begins to just cast seed out onto the ground. Jesus said that this farmer who is sowing his seed is a picture of the word of God going out. The word of God going out through sermons, the word of God going out through personal worship the Word of God going out when two co-workers or two family members have a conversation about the Word of God. And he is saying in this parable that this Word is received differently by different people. And how this is described in the parable that Jesus uses is that each person can be defined by the type of soil that the seed is thrown onto. Some of the seed is thrown onto a hard path. I want you to get in your mind the idea of like a crushed granite path cutting through a park. That as people trample it and run across it and jog on it and the rain beats down on it, it just gets harder and harder. And any seed that falls on that path is just going to be picked up by the birds. He says some seed falls on this rocky soil that though it might look like there is earth and dirt on the ground. Just underneath the dirt, there's bedrock. We are building across the street, and I just went over there and looked in this giant ditch where they're attaching a water line to the main line, and they're going to put sprinkler systems inside uh, for fire suppression. And they had to go so deep, you can actually see the bedrock that they had to dig into to put this line in. But this bedrock described in Jesus' parable is not deep like it is across the street, but it's just underneath the surface of the ground. So that when the seed falls on this rocky soil, roots can't go down. And so it withers up and dries because it lacks water. The third type of soil is soil, is, is soil that is good soil, but it has thorns growing up, sucking up all the nutrients. And so it chokes out any seed that grows up in the same area or good soil. That's fertile and productive, and the seed sown there is is fruitful. Jesus said every human heart mirrors one of these types of soil. So the question that we are asking ourselves this morning is what type of soil best represents my heart? Because I don't think your heart has to stay the same. Scripture promises that God can take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh, that our hearts can change through his word and through the power of his spirit. So if you hear one of these soils, you're like, man, that sounds like me. Know that you don't have to stay that way, but you can change. Change through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, through the word of God being received. So let's take some time this morning And let's look at these four different types of soil, introspectively asking ourselves the question, which best describes my heart? The first path is that crushed granite path that's been trampled down, stomped on, so that when the seed falls on that path, a bird quickly comes and takes it away. I think what Jesus is describing here is an opportunity thwarted. That the Word of God is going out. The Word of God is being cast out. That people are speaking truth, but that truth is never heard. And that truth is never received because of the coldness and the hardness of that heart. And we have to ask the question, what makes a heart that hard that it will not receive the Word of God? And it's something that is common to all of us. It might be that our heart is hard because there is bitterness in our heart because of how we were treated or how we are being treated. It might be that there's anger in our heart because of, of, of abuse or because of the way life has turned out for us. It might be that our heart is hard because of resentment, that you feel that what you deserved was withheld from you. Or it might be that your heart is hard because of some past hurt in the church. And because the people of God have wounded you so deeply, you want nothing to do with a God that they worship. That happens, and it happens far too often. But when it happens, oftentimes what happens is we begin to wrap our heart in Kevlar to make it impenetrable so that we become bulletproof to the word of God and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you find yourself that this is where you are, I just implore you to not blame God for evil, that you don't blame God for things that his people has done, but that you go to God as a compassionate God who longs you to have a life an abundant life, but a life that's found only in submission to him. When I think of this, I think of the Apostle Paul. If you know the story of the Apostle Paul, you know it was a life that was transformed. And if anyone had a heart that probably felt pretty hard to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was probably Paul's heart. Paul did not start off as a follower of Jesus Christ, but Paul was a Pharisee. He described himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees, someone who hated Jesus and who hated the people of Jesus, who hated the way of Jesus. We're first introduced to the Apostle Paul when he is named Saul, and he's at a trial of a man named Stephen. Stephen was one of the first early deacons um, who was proclaiming the gospel. People falsely accused him of things, so he went to trial, and he used the opportunity while he was on trial to share the saving news of Jesus Christ. And when people heard Stephen's message of the gospel, Scripture says that they grinded their teeth at the message. Their hearts were also like this beaten path. And they ripped their clothes, a sign of, of anguish and mourning, and they grabbed Stephen, they drug him outside the city gates, and they stoned him to death. The Apostle Paul, author of 13 books of the New Testament, was there at that stoning. He did not throw a rock, but what he did is he gladly participated by holding the coats of everyone who was there paul then went on getting papers to chase christians down to throw them in prison to to arrest them people feared him they ran from him and as they ran he was in hot pursuit we look at the apostle paul we think here's one who had to have had a hard heart that he hated the message of Christ. Yet we are told that God still reached his heart, that Paul submitted to Christ and followed Christ. I don't know where you are, and I don't know what has happened to you, but if you are a person who are like, I hate the things of God, and I don't want to hear the Word of God because of my bitterness, because of my anger, because of my resentment, because of past hurt, I think God is saying to you today is I am still here for you. And my hope is that you would say a prayer and your prayer might be something like this. God, help me to give you a chance. Help me to be in a position where I can hear your message and your word for the first time again. Consider Christ, who He is, and what He has done, that He might be for you and not against you. That path, we are told, is hard because it's been trampled on. It's hard because it belongs to a hard heart, and Satan takes away that word. But I don't think we have to stay here, because God can turn the hardest heart soft. The second path that we find is. Or the second type of soil that we find is that of rocks, that the word of God is sown and they fall in soil, but the soil is shallow. And beneath that soil, there is the bedrock, so that when the seed buries itself into the soil, it might sprout up quickly. It might look healthy at the beginning, but because there are no roots, it can't get to any moisture and it soon withers up and dies. I think we probably all have seen this happen, haven't we? That we've known people in the church that they receive the word of God with gladness and with joy, and they are all in for Christ. But as life happens and as difficulties come their way, they begin to fall away. And you see them less and less at church, and they distance themselves more and more. This is a little bit of an aside For members of Christ Community Church, we have to be on guard against this. One of the reasons it's important for us to know who is a member and who is not is so that we can know when there is a fellow member and follower of Christ and we see them less and less that we notice that they're gone, that we go out to them and we ask them what's going on, we pray with them and we plead with them to come back to Christ. No one should ever be able to be a member of this church and be able to ghost us and just disappear. God has called us to be active participants with one another, helping one another to follow Christ. I've seen that happen here time and time again, and I think it's a beautiful thing. But one of the reasons why people start to ghost on Christ or leave Christ is because... Oftentimes, they were in this shallow soil. What makes them fall away from the faith is a lack of roots in a time of testing. A lack of roots in a time of testing. And we have to ask ourselves, how is it that we send down deep roots so that when a time of testing comes, we don't fall away? And the answer is and has to be devotion. The way that we do not fall away from Christ, the way that we sink roots down deep so we do not fall away is through devotion. Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy in first Timothy. He says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, and it holds a promise for the present life but also for the life to come. He continues on, speaking to his young protege, let no one despise you for your youth, Timothy. But set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity until I come, listen to this, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift which is given to you by the prophecy when the council of elders lay their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. So that you may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Notice the, the words that he's using. He's saying, Timothy, devote yourself to the word of God. I want you to practice these things. I want you to immerse yourself in them. I want you to persist in them. What is Paul telling Timothy? He is saying if you want to hold on, if you want to send your roots down deep, you have to be devoted. If we want to have deep roots in Christ and in the faith, then we have to be devoted to God's word. One of the things that's going on, in fact, I think it might have wrapped up this week, is the Olympics. Uh, I I don't watch the Olympics that much. It's it's, it's like if I'm at somebody's house and it's on, it's like, yeah, sure, why not? But otherwise, it's like I'm not going to pursue it. Um, in part, and forgive me if you're a track and field person, I feel like it's like track and field. It's like, eh, why am I going to watch someone run around in a circle? It just doesn't interest me. Uh, But that's, that's, that's my bad, right? So feel free to judge on that. But one of the interesting things about the Olympics is how the athletes devote themselves to their sport. It's said that Michael Phelps would wake up early and that he would practice swimming for five hours a day for six days a week. Five hours a day, six days a week. He had to eat 12,000 calories a day in order to sustain his practice habits. And the only thing that sounds attractive to me in that is like the 12,000 calories a day. So, but what was he doing? He devoted himself. He devoted himself so that he would not fall away from being competitive if we want to stay committed to Christ, if we want to not fall away, then we have to practice these things. We have to practice being in the Word, devoting ourselves, immersing ourselves, persisting in the Word so that we sink down deep roots. Why? Because we are told that trials are going to come. That's why these, these plants fell away. Jesus said in the book of Luke chapter 8, when he is describing these seeds that fall on a rock, he said they hear and they receive the word with joy, but having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. What is that testing? That testing is not necessarily big events. Sometimes the testing that comes our way are the normal ebbs and flows of life. It might be loss of health or an injury. It might be the death of a loved one. It might be having a difficult time at work. It might be a disappointment that you face. It might be just a season of of anxiety that you're going through. These normal cuts can sometimes be like a death by a thousand blows in our lives, and they happen to every person. The way that we stand firm through all these trials is by sinking down deep roots. Because every time you go through one of these trials, you know what we do? Every time you face a traumatic event in your life, every time you face a trial in your life, what we do as human beings is we begin to create an explanation for why things are happening. We create stories and narratives of why these things are happening to us in our life. And we begin to create narratives like this. If God really loved me, I wouldn't be going through this. We begin to create narratives of like, well, God, anytime I get something good, God is going to take it away because God doesn't want me to be happy. We create narratives that says that, well, God must be cruel. And as we think on these narratives and as we continue to go through life, taking these cuts through our lives, these narratives and these stories and these explanations of life become more ingrained in who We believe God to be. And over time, we believe these lies and we fall away from the faith. Having roots, persisting, and immersing ourselves in Scripture helps us to interpret what is happening in our lives correctly. And not only that, being a part of a healthy church gives us a community of faith to have other people who can look at what's going on in our lives and help us to understand what's going in our lives correctly. Cause we might come to a community group and say, you know, I feel like every time I get something good, God just wants to take it away. And the other people in your community group can say, That's a lie. And that's not true. Let's look at who God is and what God has done and what God desires for us. And it's a community of faith also immersed in the Word of God who can speak truth into our lives. We need truth tellers in our life. We need to be immersed in Scripture so that we can interpret life. Are you devoted to the Word of God? Are you committed to being a part of a community that will also speak truth into your life? And if you are dealing with one of these narratives about God in your mind from all the things happening in your life, is it a true narrative? Is it a true interpretation of what's going on, or is it a lie? I'd encourage you to go to Scripture to find the truth of how to interpret what's going on. We do not want to be these soil with rocky bedrock underneath the surface, where we wither up and die, we want to be people with roots. To have life, this third type of soil is the soil that has thorns all in it. We see this in Luke chapter eight, verses seven and verse fourteen. Jesus in the parable says, "Other we other seed fell among the thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. These these uh, these thorn bushes." I was reading in a commentary about them. And it said that these thorn bushes were actually quite beautiful. They grew to about six feet tall. I'm, I'm about six foot. So that these thorn b- bushes grew to about my height. And with them, they had all sorts of blooms. Sometimes the blooms were, were red. Some were yellow. Some were blue. But they were these beautiful blooms. They were the sort of thing that some of you might even like plant in your garden beds, in your flower beds, because they were pretty. But what we're planting is is a thorny bush that kills other things. Every now and again, I'll drive around Colleen and I'll see someone plant a prickly pear in their yard, and I'm like, what are you doing? Stop it! Uh, Partly because I, I got stuck by those things all the time growing up. I hate them. But we're taking a thorn bush, and we're turning it into something beautiful. Jesus is giving this illustration that when people were walking down the roads, they didn't know exactly what he's talking about. Because you would see one of these thorn bushes in the ground, and all around the thorn bush would be barren earth. Why? Because these thorn bushes sucked up so much moisture and sucked up so much of the nutrients to give themselves those beautiful flowers that they would choke out any other seed around them. When Jesus is saying that some people have hearts that are like the soil that has thorn bushes in it, he is saying that there are some people that they might have good soil But because they have this greedy neighbor of a thorn bush, it's going to wither up their faith and they're going to be unproductive. Jesus, in verse 14, explains what these thorn bushes are. He says, As for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who, when they've heard, they go on their way and they are choked with the worries, riches, and pleasures of life, and they produce no mature fruit the soil was good but it shared the soil with greedy neighbors what were the thorns that he described he said one of the thorns that that will choke out your faith are worries what are the worries that we oftentimes face we have the worries of safety and security what we're going to eat what we're going to drink what we're going to wear will we have enough for retirement will we have enough to do the things that we have to do is our debt too big in our lives are we going to catch a virus? Is this an allergy or is this COVID? And we are filled with worries. Whenever these worries overcome and become primary in our lives, they begin to choke out our faith. Some of them are real worries, aren't they? These are things that can happen. By saying their worries doesn't mean that the reality of that worry isn't real. But we're giving that worry more power than we ought to. Jesus said, "Don't worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Your heavenly Father knows what you need, and he will provide for you." Worries have a way of 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 just chipping away at our faith. One of our worries, I think, is a worry to be accepted. Who here doesn't want to be liked? I mean, I'm, I'm, I've got a little bit of an edge to me. I like to give people a hard time, but I still like to be liked. Some of us have lifted this value, of this desire of being liked, to be so supreme that, that we worry about it, that it consumes us. John Piper recently said this. He said, if your driving motive in life is to be liked you will find it nearly impossible to be a Christian because we will be so consumed with being liked and being accepted that we will sell away the Word of God in order to be accepted, in order to be liked. Paul wrote the church in Philippi. He said, Do not worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Are some of the dangers in life real? Yeah, they're real. But Paul is saying that our God is bigger than our worries. Worry is a thorn bush that will choke out our faith. But so is riches. The next thing he lists is riches, the, the thorn bush of riches. I think I've used this illustration a thousand times, but I, I, I love it. But whenever I teach my class, I teach Bible at at a school. Whenever I teach my class, one of the things when we're discussing some of this in in our classes, I'll always ask the kids, who here wants to be rich? You know who answers yes? Everyone. I have yet to meet a person who says, oh, I I really want to be poor and destitute. I've not even had a person in my class say, you know what? I'm really aiming for that, that middle class, you know? No one says that. They all want to be rich. And I, then I ask them the question. It's like, well, let's look at this passage. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter, a, enter the kingdom of heaven. Who here still wants to be rich? And like, they're all like, <laughs> me? It's all right. So, so you're saying it's hard to enter the kingdom of heaven if you're also focused on riches. And you're still like, I'm putting it right there in front of you, and you're still going to say riches. You're like, well, yeah, because I'm the exception. Aren't we all the exception? And I think we are all the exception because none of us view ourselves as rich. The rich guy is the person who has more money than me. The greedy person is the person who has more money than me. I think it was asked of Andrew Carnegie when someone went up to him, they said, Mr. Carnegie, how much how much money is enough? And he said, Well, one dollar more. One dollar more, because it's never enough. Jesus knows, and the scripture teaches us, that whenever we are so focused on wealth and riches and the success of this world, that it is like a thorn bush that will choke out faith and dependence on God we devote ourselves not to the Word of God and not to the kingdom of God, but we devote ourselves to the kingdoms that we are trying to build. It's a thorn bush. Worry, riches, pleasures of life. James says it in this very forceful way. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That's hard. That's humbling. Where if I am going to be consumed by my worries, by my riches, by the pleasures of this life, and that is where I'm going to force my energies and, and my work I'm becoming an enemy of God, a rebel against God. This thorn bush that sucks up all the life and energy and the productivity from the seed. I mean, ironically, it's such a picture of our country, isn't it? And isn't there an irony in that? America, the breadbasket of the world whose land is amazingly fertile and well-watered, but spiritually, it's a land of thorn bushes, choking faith. Not so that faith is dead, but look at what Jesus said, and produces no mature fruit. That's the danger that we put ourselves in when we are devoting ourselves to the worries and the works of this world and not into the kingdom of God and the word of God. But Jesus also tells of one other soil, the soil that is good. He describes it as good ground, and that these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it by enduring and producing fruit my, uh, my father one day drove up to my house and in my front yard and driveway, and he's like, hey, I just came back from, like, Walmart or Lowe's or wherever. It's the end of the season for, for planting things, and they had some trees that they were just, like, giving away almost. And he had a plum tree and a fig tree in the back of his truck, and he's like, you want these? I'm like, well, yeah, I do. I love figs. I love plums. Let's do it. So we went in my backyard. We dug a couple of holes, and we planted these two trees in my backyard. This was, like, five, six years ago. For five or six years, I took care of this fig tree. I watered it. I put a bed around it to keep the weeds out and away. I, I and this is like true love, I mowed around this thing and I weed it around it, which I hate doing those things, but I did those things waiting year after year after year to where I could have a fruit of a fig fruit, Right? But it never gave me one, and I almost felt like Jesus, like walking to Jerusalem, I almost like wanted to curse this fig tree every time I had to mow around it. And finally, I called my dad, and my dad, I think, I am going to rip this thing up just so I don't have to mow around it anymore. He said, well, don't do that. I'll, I'll take it, and I'll plant it out on my place. And so he came, and we got our shovels out, and we were digging around it and got a good amount of root with it and put it in a wheelbarrow and took it off, and he took it out to his land. He dug a hole. He planted it, and it was a decent-sized tree because it's five or six years old. He cuts that thing off at the ground where it's just a nub. And that season, you know what happened? It grew a foot and produced two figs. I still want to rip up that fig tree <laughs> just, just because I resent it now. But what was the difference? It wasn't that it was more well-watered. What was the difference? The difference was the soil that the soil was this good soil that provided the nutrients that what it needed, and it sucked up these nutrients and produced fruit. Jesus said sometimes when the word goes out, it lands in a heart like this and fruit is produced. It's not a heart that's like a hard, well-beaten path." or that it has shallow soil with rocks underneath, that there's no thorns around it with good, rich soil. And Jesus describes this type of heart in verse 15. Listen to what he says. He's saying, this is a heart having heard the word. This soil is a soil that hears the word of God. It engages with the word of God. That hearing the word proclaimed on a Sunday morning is a priority. That we pursue and then we fail and then we get up and we pursue again in our daily devotions, right? That we do the same thing with family worship and in our community groups. That we might fail, but we're always going to get up and we're going to say, I want to start again because this is important. We're going to persist in it. But the word of God is spoken. But not only that, but it said the word of God is spoken. It's heard. And then it is received. So this healthy heart not only hears the word, but it receives it. Now, when we receive the word of God, it says here, the heart that receives it, in verse 15, is an honest and good heart. It's a humble heart. It's not, I think sometimes when we read the word of God, we hear it, and it might hit us in a hard way, and we might not like what it says. I went to a somewhat liberal seminary and I would sit in class and I would hear other classmates say, you know, I just really don't like the Apostle Paul. And I'm like, how can you not like the Apostle Paul? He wrote the Bible. But but they would say that because what was being said, they didn't like it. Receiving the word of God with a good and humble heart means that when we have a problem with what the word of God says, we recognize that the problem was with us and not the word. We recognize that even though we might not like it and it hits us hard and it hits us the wrong way, we say, I am going to conform myself to what the word says rather than what the world says. That is receiving the word with a good and a humble heart. And then he says this, we hear it, we receive it, and then we hold on to it. That it is a refuge, that it is our truth. It is how we interpret the things that's going on around us. It is our guide, a lamp and a light to our feet showing us the way to live our lives. We hold on to it, and what happens at the end of all that is fruit. Whenever we read this parable, it's almost like Jesus is, is asking us, what type of soil is your heart? Do you have a hard and beaten heart? Do you have a heart that that is shallow with no roots and no devotion and no immersion? Do you have a heart that is surrounded by thorns? Or do you have a good soil and you receive the word and hear the word with a good and honest heart and produce fruit? Christ is calling all of us to have this good soil it might be you're here this morning you're like man i i I really i really feel like my heart might be those thorns you know what god has the ability to do god who planted a garden in genesis chapter one and two he's a gardener he has the ability to take a rock bar and dig out that rock He has the ability to go through the rows and to grab the thorns and the weeds and pull them to make that soil good if we receive the word. Let's receive the word this morning.